The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. Amen. Well, in 1 Kings, we have this incredible account of one of the great heroes of the Old Testament, Elijah. And he had an incredible encounter uh, with God in a cave. He ran for his life from Jezebel. You remember that story. And when he got to that cave, uh, he was thoroughly discouraged. He was thoroughly worn out by all that he had been through. And the Lord began that encounter with a simple question. Elijah, why are you here? Now, he couldn't have answered what he would answer later. I think in the end I was here to have an encounter with the living God. And I would love that everyone that's sitting here today in the hearing of my voice would be able to answer that question the same way. If I were to ask you, why are you here right now? I think it's good for you to reflect on that. You probably would want to know what I mean. I mean, you you might ask, do you mean why did I get up out of bed this morning and come here? Is that what you're asking? With that level or... Why do I attend this specific church and not another church or maybe even bigger? Why do I go to church at all on a Sunday morning? Uh, Or maybe you mean something even bigger than that. What is my purpose for living? Why am I on planet earth at all? What's my reason for existence? Well, these questions, no matter how I might mean them, all of them are very searching, very probing. There's a wide variety of answers that people give to each one. So let's take the most rudimentary, basic way to understand the question. Why am I here in this building right now? Why did I get out of bed and come here today? That took effort. That took forethought. For some people, a little more forethought than others. But it did. It took effort. And you chose your clothes. You got your body ready. You could have slept in. You could have relaxed. You could have surfed the web, gone to some sites, just looked at the sunrise after the storm. You could have done a lot of things, gone for a walk. Could have gone for breakfast, gone to your favorite breakfast spot, had an omelet with Swiss cheese and broccoli or some breakfast meats. Or you could have gone to one of those um, coffee shops where you sit with your earbuds in your ears right next to total strangers and not look at them. I find that really amazing, some of these shops, you know. People like to be get together and don't like to be together. Figure it out. Which is it? Do you want to be together? Or? But it's interesting. You could have gone to, to Starbucks or Parker or Notice or some other spot. Some of you may feel you had no choice but to come today. Uh, you're being raised in a Christian home. Maybe you're kids or teenagers. And you're in no real position to refuse, however tempted you might be to refuse to come to church. But you're having your heart searched right now. If you weren't made to come, would you have come? In a few years, when you go away to college, you'll have the freedom not to go to church. And as a matter of fact, the overwhelming majority of kids raised in evangelical uh, churches decide not to go to church when they get to to college. But for now, you have no choice, except you do get to control your attitude about coming to church. You get to control how you feel about it. You get to choose whether or not you're happy to be here this morning. 
Now, you that are college students, you're already at that place where you know very well you don't have to be in church. You're here because you want to be. Perhaps usually you stay up, as most college students do, quite late in the evenings, maybe especially Saturday evening. I don't know. I don't know what your patterns are. That's how it was for me. And so Sunday morning is a real sacrifice. Some of you have made the biggest sacrifice of anyone here today. But you're here, and you're here because you want to be. But, you know, go a little deeper. Why are you here? What do you want to hear? What do you want to have happen in your soul? What are you hoping for? What's your reason for being here? Some of you are parents. Uh, You feel an obligation to set an example for your children. You're on the other side of that equation that I talked about earlier. Maybe you feel to some degree you have no choice but to be here. Others of you are just, you're just members of, of FBC. You, you want to set an example for your kids, but you come here out of habit maybe or out of friendships, connections from, with other people. Some of you have been members of this church for decades. You just feel this is your church. You've been coming here. What else would you do? This is exactly why you come. And some of you are here because... You want to have an encounter with the living God. And you want to come to a church that preaches God's word. And you want to know Jesus. And you want to follow him. And you know your salvation's not done yet. And you need help. And you need accountability. And you need people to pray for you. And you need to give and receive spiritual gifts. And you need all of those things. And this is a church where you perceive those things happening. And, and so because you've been blessed in that way in the past, you expect that you're going to be blessed that way again today. And so you've come for those kinds of blessings. Another way to look at it is why, how do you evaluate any church at all? How do you evaluate involvement in church? Many churches, you know, I, I think about when I... I, I fly and I, I get to the end of a flight and we're taxiing up to the gate and they'll play some pre-recorded message in which they acknowledge that I have many ch- different choices or options in air travel and they're very grateful, at least the recording is grateful, uh, for me having chosen Delta or American or whatever it is. So I'm glad that the recording is grateful. Um, that's how I hear that. That's just kind of the way I'm wired. Maybe I say, oh, isn't that nice that they're glad that I've chosen Delta or American, but they, they say, we know you have other options, and churches are very aware of that too, and they say, we know you have other options in, in church. We're not back in the Middle Ages or, or back in the state-run church era where it was illegal not to go to church. You had to go to the Anglican church or to the Catholic church or whatever, etc. No, we know that you have freedom to not go to church or go, and, and if you choose, you, you've got an array of choices in terms of denominations, and then even within the Baptist churches, you've got an array of... So how do you evaluate... How do, you, how do you know uh, what is a healthy, healthy church? And how can you evaluate your own in involvement? Now, perhaps, pastor, you mean the ultimate question. Why do I exist? You know, why, why do I exist? Why am I here on earth at all? What is my purpose for living? Why do I do anything? Not just Sunday mornings, but any time at all. Or more Christianly, why did God make me? Why did God create me? What were his reasons for, for knitting me together in my mother's womb? Did he have a purpose for my life? So as we come to the final sermon that I'm going to preach, I assume in, in the book of Ephesians, the end of our journey in Ephesians, I think it's a good time for us to evaluate ourselves individually in terms of God's ultimate purposes in the world. And to zero in a little bit more specifically on your relationship to this local church. 
or ultimately to any local church. I want to set First Durham, FBC, as a local church in the context of what God says is his purpose in the book of Ephesians. And I want to give you at the end, toward the end of the sermon, a list of six commitments or duties or responsibilities of church members by which I would like you to evaluate your involvement in this local church. And then going forward in any local church, if the Lord should lead you away. Now you may ask, why are we doing that today? You know, why, why now? Well, a variety of reasons, I think. One is that uh, the elders recently have been reading a book on Christian community. There's, it's, it's available out in the North, North Tower Resource Center. And we, you know, one of the things uh, that the book talked about, and I've touched on it a moment ago, but is the consumer mentality that can come in in American churches. And the idea of evaluating a church by what you get. And, the, you know, the, like, like you do with anything, goods and services. Am I getting what I should get from a church? And so you're, there's a consumer mentality. Rather than uh, asking, how can I serve Christ and his people? You know, what are the ways that I can be a, a, a blessing to the, to the people of God? So for us, we, we look at both sides of that equation. We're very eager to be certain that the church is giving to its members what a church should, should give. We're very concerned when we hear stories about people going through adversity, going through trials in their lives, and they feel that no one cares. Specifically, no one from the church cares. No one called, no one cared, no one came, those kind of things. And it's so easy to be busy in life, to be busy with ministry as elders, and people to slip through the cracks. And so we're aware that people even actually do feel that way. It's not theoretical. There are some people that have felt that way. And we we take that very seriously. We want to evaluate our church and be certain that we're ministering well. But we also want to be certain that people have a healthy view of the local church themselves. We find that people, the the more that people are other-centered and servant-hearted, the less they feel that way about any local church. They're not thinking about it from that perspective, but they're always asking, how can I be a blessing? How can I serve? They tend to be the most, the happiest, most well-adjusted church members there are, even though they may be going through great trials themselves. Secondly, we have known for a long time that our church is a kind of a regional church. People drive generally long distances to get here. We've also found that that wears on people after a, a time. And so it just becomes more and more difficult to, uh, to make that drive. I don't think other than plate tectonics that the distance is any more than it was five years ago. just seems longer. And I think that just speaks to the kind of growing discontent we all have with the same things that go on over and over. And it's like, I know that church, and it just feels like it's just a long way to drive to church. And so that, that is something. And so we've evaluated that. And a number of, of faithful, fruitful members of the church have given that as a reason. They've parted it on good terms, but they're not here anymore. And, that, and that's an issue. So we, we've thought about that. Thirdly, it has to do with the financial situation of our church. I hardly ever preach on finances, but this morning I'm going to. I'm going to talk about finances. And our church is something like $125,000 behind in our regular church budget. I just think it's a good time for us to talk about what the regular church budget is. And what its purpose is. And to have the church evaluate their own involvement. And the value that that you all put on this. On coming here and having this be here. Um, And your willingness to make sacrifices and invest in that. It's a chance for us to give some, some teaching on that. Compounded with that is the fact that we are in, I think you've probably noticed, 
an aging building, if we could put it this way, an older building. Apparently, the second floor windows aren't very good on horizontal rain. Um, I guess we found that out yesterday. I mean, we actually have a couple windows in our home that are apparently not very good on horizontal rain. Um, and so we had like a, a kind of a water feature inside the North Tower last night. And it was just coming down, just cascading down the wall. So did you notice like the fans and the kind of water stains? So there's that. Then I wasn't going to do this, but I call your attention to the ceiling. Um, apparently some people cleaned up some of those specks that fell last night. I thought it might have been better for my sermon if they left them there. Or even better if some fell down right at this moment of the sermon. That would be like really cool. Now, I wasn't going to orchestrate that. That's so cheap and chintzy. Like, Pastor, come on. Did you get something up there to thump at a key moment and then pieces would fall down? Maybe you've just never looked at the ceiling of the sanctuary before. Maybe you've just never noticed it before. But now you have. And you notice there's, I mean, our roof leaks. It actually does. I didn't realize this, but some, some really godly and wonderful people put like children's swimming pools up there about two months ago to collect it until we fix the roof. And they go up and empty it regularly every three days or something like that i'm not thinking that's a good long-term solution I'm, I'm thinking that's not the best thing to do i think fixing the roof is better um but everything breaks down you know i've talked to pastors and they're like oh you're so lucky to be in a church that's completely paid for they have a huge debt in their church and that's a huge burden friends this church is never completely paid for it just isn't. I mean, we, uh, a week ago, I think we had trouble with one of our HVAC units. And so if you're in the educational wing, it felt quite warm over there. Um, and so, the, you know, those are just things that we're evaluating. Fourth, the ending of the book of Ephesians gives me a chance to just see God's plan for building the church globally, worldwide. And how every local church fits into it. I've really had to think a lot about that as key leaders like Daniel Renstrom and others have left. And for me to realize how transitory all of this is. I mean, it's all very transient. It's just constantly changing. And for me to just not fight that, but just understand it, to evaluate the church and think about it, but, but learn more and more the connection or relationship between healthy local churches and the universal church, the heavenly church. And I've, I've done a lot of thinking on that, but this is a good, good chance for us to evaluate and to see our involvement and for, see our involvement in, in evangelism and missions, too. Are we doing what we were put here to do in terms of the external journey? Are we reaching Durham? Are we seeing lots of baptisms? Are we seeing people from the community converted and baptized? And, you know, how are we doing? And our, how is our commitment to missions, to end-of-the-earth mission, to missionaries, to people that are going out, trusting in us, like Marty and Chandler Gilo a couple weeks ago, and we're sending them out. Are we faithful to, the, to that? And then finally, at the beginning of a kind of the school year slash home fellowship year, it's good for us to evaluate many aspects of vital ministries of our church. We've noticed that people have a high level of enthusiasm about new ministries like home fellowships in September, but don't have the same level of zeal in February, March, and April. And so it's just a good chance for us to evaluate various things. So that's what we're doing today. Now, I'm aware of the dangers of a sermon like this. I'm, a, I'm aware of the danger of guilt manipulation. I don't want to do that. Um, and legalism. I don't want to do either one of those. I don't want to lay a legalistic standard on the church and have you feel burdened by that. Not at all. Part of the problem with preaching is, and there's this old proverb in reference to preaching, which is to disturb the comfortable and comfort the disturbed. One thing I've noticed that church members or hearers of sermons don't come in pre-labeled. 
I am comfortable, please disturb me. Or I am disturbed, please comfort me. Um, you might be a complex mix of both comfort, comfortable and disturbed at the same time. And you might need a complex mix. And I'm preaching one sermon to all of you. It's, it's really an amazing thing how this could even be helpful. But yet week after week, pastors get up and preach one sermon to a mixed assembly of people who are all over the map in terms of where they're at. When you go to many hospitals, not most hospitals these days, when they administer medications that are prescribed by the attending physicians, they scan a barcode thing on your wrist to be certain you're you and this is the medication and keep a record and be certain you get the right medication. I can't do that. I can't scan and say, okay, you need to be disturbed. I'm now going to disturb you. And uh, right next to you is someone that needs to be comforted, is feeling very ruffled in life and very troubled by things, and you need to just be comforted. So that's a danger to preaching a sermon like this as well. So we come to the final uh, paragraph in Ephesians. And one of the dangers also is to try to weave in these last few words of Ephesians to the intention of the sermon. I don't know that I'm going to do that well. What I want to do is explain these last few words. There's not a lot of theological meat here, but there's value in it. And then transition to the things that I want to do in terms of this kind of state of the church address. But I'm going to reach back as Greg beautifully did in his prayer. What a great prayer, brother. And kind of did a lot of my work for me. But I think it's just good to look across the whole book one more time. Is this going to be our last Sunday in Ephesians? And then see how it points toward the themes that I'd like to address. So look with me again at Ephesians 6, 21 through 24. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose so that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. Ephesians is in some way Paul's least personal letter. There's more theological reasoning and general principles than personal messages of address. There's not a lot of them. There are far more in other epistles like in Philippians or Corinthians, etc. But here he gets very personal. You see the personal side of Paul. And so he begins in this section with a man named Tychicus. We don't know very much about him. He's mentioned five times in the New Testament. Generally, four out of the five in one of Paul's letters at the end when he entrusts him some job to do or some responsibility to go as a messenger. Paul says wonderful things about him. He calls him a dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord. In Colossians 4, 7, he adds the phrase fellow servant in the Lord. We don't know much about him, but he's a representative of how God uses unsung, non-famous people to do amazing ministries. Most of us are going to be like that. Most of us are going to not be upfront leader people who we don't, we don't, we, we know your names. Tychicus represents those kind of more anonymous servants of the Lord, brothers and sisters in Christ who do incredibly helpful and valuable ministries. So Paul sends it to the church at Ephesus to give a fuller report about Paul so that they can, if you go backwards, pray for him. He said, pray for me. All right, Paul, what do you need? What do you, what's going on in your life? Well, Tychicus will fill you in. He'll tell you what's going on with me. And also, I just know this about him. He's going to encourage your hearts. Wouldn't that be wonderful to be said of you, like Barnabas? He was just the son of encouragement. Wouldn't you love to be the kind of person that just you bless, sweetly bless the people around you every time you interact? I just know that when I send Tychicus to you, you're going, your hearts are going to be encouraged by him. So that's what he says. And then he closes with this beautiful benediction. Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. You get that sense of this, and I'm just about to talk about this, this universal church that we're part of. 
And they're brothers and sisters in different localities. We may never know them, but they're part of the family of God. And so Paul in his epistles frequently greets the brothers and the sisters and, and reaches out to them. And, and so there's this greeting that goes. Uh, and, he, and he yearns to give them love with faith from God. So may your love increase more and more. May your faith continue to grow and develop. And so that gives us a sense of our ongoing need. We need more. And that's, I think easily folds into where I want to go in this sermon. We need local churches to be avenues, min, uh, a, uh, avenues of grace to us because we're not done needing grace. And so Paul ends all of his, his epistles with grace be with you or grace to you. And, and so there's that sense of, of you have received grace already, you need even more grace. May the grace of God now go with you as you exit this epistle. And so it's a beautiful uh, sense of that, like a, uh, uh, a tunnel of grace as you walk out into the world. And then he says this, grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with a, a love incorruptible, an undying love. How beautiful is that? I meditated on that. And that's talking about our love for Jesus, our love for God. And isn't it wonderful to know that if you're a genuine Christian, your love for Jesus will never die. It cannot be corrupted. You're going to make it through. You're going to reach the end of your Christian life still loving Jesus. And it's going to survive your own death. And it's going to go on into eternity. It's an undying love. You know, at the end of Romans 8, he talks about how nothing in heaven or earth or anything can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's God's love for us in Jesus. Well, this verse tells me nothing will separate me from my love for Jesus either. That's a love relationship that started and it's going to last forever. And that's how he ends the book. So that brings me now to my purpose in this sermon. And, and, and that's to look big picture at the book of Ephesians and then weave it into our local church. So what is Christ's purpose? What is God's purpose for all of this? And I can say it simply this. It is the glory of God in the perfection of the church of Jesus Christ. That's what he's about. That's what's going on. That's what every individual person should be about. That's what every local church should be about. The glory of God in the final perfection of the church of Jesus Christ. That's what we're here for. So look back at the beginning of the epistle. We're going to go through this one more time. He begins with praise and worship. That's where we're going to end up. We're going to be in heaven praising and worshiping God. So he starts there. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May God the Father be praised. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. We can't think about that enough. In eternity past, he chose us for eternity future to be holy and blameless in heaven. He elected us and chose us. Chosen, he chose us. And in love... We're told he predestined us. He set our horizons for us. Predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. In accordance with his pleasure and will. He was pleased to do it. He loves to do it. He willed to do it. And he did do it. So he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. All of this was done, we're told, three times in this early section of Ephesians for the praise of his glory, the praise of his glorious grace. So he's doing all of this that he may be praised and glorified and honored. As it says in 1 Corinthians, let him who boasts, let him who glories, glory in the Lord. So that we might praise him. So that's what he's doing. And to that end, he took filthy, rebellious sinners like us and cleansed us by the blood of Jesus. In whom 
Ephesians 1.7, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. God redeemed us by the blood of Jesus. He saved us by the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. And if you've come here today as an unbeliever, you're on the outside, this is your only hope. That you might be delivered from the wrath of God that you and all of us so richly deserve because God sent his son, Jesus, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died an atoning death for sinners like you and me. That's where Christians come from because we believe in that message. We were redeemed by the blood of Jesus. This is the very thing that we were predestined for. This is the thing that God orchestrated. Ephesians 1, 11 and following, it says, In him we're also chosen, having been predestined, according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity to the purpose of will. Not just big things, but the details have been predestined and worked out carefully. It's not an accident that you came to faith in Christ. It was orchestrated. But it happened through a certain mechanism, a certain way. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with a seal. So this is how you were saved. This is the gospel. This is what we're here for. We're here to believe that gospel and to proclaim it to others. And we learned, as we've seen already, that, <laughs> that we were redeemed out of a dungeon, a spiritual dungeon. We can't see it with our eyes. But the more you go on, you know there are these invisible chains that are holding people down. Satan's dark dungeon. And people are enslaved and they're enchained to their lusts and to the ways of this world. And they are vessels of wrath. But God, because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, he made us alive. He raised us from the dead spiritually through faith in Christ. And it's not by our works. It's simply by grace. By grace you have been saved through faith in this, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's, you were created first and foremost for that. To be a sinner saved by grace. Forgiven by grace. That's, first and foremost, you're created for that. But secondly, Ephesians 2.10 says some, so much more. You were created also to do good works, which God prepared in advance that you should walk in them. He got all these good works ready. And I tell you, if you're a healthy Christian, many of those good works are going to be done in the context of a healthy local church. Together with brothers and sisters in Christ who know you and you know them and you work together, many of those good works, not all of them, but many of them are going to be done in the context of a healthy local church. So Paul gives us a vision for that in Ephesians 2, 11, uh, up through uh, 22, I think, the end of that chapter. Just go to the end, verse 19 through 22. He gives us a vision of how Gentiles were rescued out of that darkness and made one with Jewish believers, the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility removed, and how now in Christ together we are part of this invisible spiritual building that's rising, growing. I love the dynamism of that, rising to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. How again and again I reached First Peter 2, the living stones image. And we are living stones in this spiritual temple and it's rising, it's getting bigger every day a little bigger. Every day a little more glorious. Look at the words. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with God's people. You're members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That, dear friends, is the church. It's an image, an architectural image of the church. Then in Ephesians 4, he gives us a biological image of the church, a body with a head 
and different members of the body and different supporting ligaments and different system, body systems, and how together we, as each part does its work, our spiritual gift ministries, as each of us does its work, the whole body grows up into Christ-like maturity. So we have these two images of the church. And this growth of the church is of two types. A growth in the church in terms of internal holiness and conformity to Christ. And an external growth of new people, lost people, brought to faith in Christ. More and more people coming into faith in Christ. That's what the church is doing around the world. So, why are you here? Well, I hope you're here to be part of all that. Part of the two journeys. The internal journey of holiness, the external journey of evangelism and missions. Here to be part of that. That is the story of the world. That's the story of what God is doing. He is building the church of Jesus Christ. And he's getting all the glory saving sinners like you and me. And we have a role to play. We get to use our gifts to build up that body. Now, local church membership is a means to that end. It's a means to that end. Now, when I say local church, we need to understand the universal church is the invisible, if I could use the word mystical, spiritual union of all genuine followers of Jesus Christ around the world and up in heaven. That's the the church universal. And that's a beautiful thing. Once you've come to Christ, you are immediately a member of that body and no one can sever you from Christ. That's permanent. The local church it has, an, has a, an address. There's a place you can go on a Sunday morning to be with other Christians. The church at Ephesus was a local church that Paul was writing to here. In Revelation 2 and 3, we've got seven churches that were in Asia Minor. And those seven churches, of which Ephesus is one, they're all local churches. Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Philadelphia, uh, Laodicea. Those seven churches. Other churches, Galatia, um, Also, Corinthians, Romans, those are all local churches. So, the local church is the best and clearest way you can regularly interact with the universal church. Local church is also a feeder system for the heavenly church, the heavenly Zion, the heavenly bride of Christ. That's what it is. So, First Baptist Church, Durham, North Carolina, is a local church. Covenant membership, committed membership in a local church is God's way, primary way, for individual Christians to grow and help others to grow. That's what God set up. Now, as I've said, all local churches are temporary. All of them. They're constantly evolving, constantly changing. People come and people go. People live and then they die. People move to different geographical areas. Different things happen. So it's, there's constant things The question we have to ask is, are we being faithful as local church members to do what God intends for our covenant membership in this local church? That's what we're trying to evaluate. Pastors get so uptight about the size of their churches. Let me tell you, I've been to pastoral conferences, and there's a way you can do it. It's called the humble brag. Talk about what's going on in your church, you know. It's, it's distasteful. I'm, I'm not saying I don't have the seeds of that in my heart, but I'm just telling you, it's, it's just not helpful. To think. The question is, are we being faithful? Are we being faithful to the doors of opportunity that God's opened for us here in Durham and to the ends of the earth? That's the question we have to ask. Those seven churches in Asia Minor, all seven of them, they were all real local churches that at some point became obsolete. I mean, they were later planted, centuries later by others. Like take Smyrna, for example. It's modern day Izmir. I mean, there was a long time there was no local, uh, local church in Smyrna, Izmir, but there is now. 
So it means that the local churches, they come and go. The question is, are we being faithful? In Revelation 3.8 to the church of Philadelphia, the Lord said, Behold, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. That's opportunity, right? Are we being faithful to walk through open doors? Or to the church at Smyrna in Revelation 2.10, he says, Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. All right, so as I read these six things, we'll go through them quickly. I want to tell you, I'm looking for health here. I'm not looking for perfection. Please, please, don't look for a perfect church. Don't ever put like perfect church together like in the same sentence. Other than there is no perfect church. That would be fine. Um, We're not looking for perfection. We're looking for health. It's a better word. There are many healthy local churches. There are no perfect churches. So the question we're asking is, is our church healthy? Also, we don't want to give legalism. We want to have a sense of grace flowing in the life of the church. We just want you to evaluate how God is using you and how you are serving as a local church member. So this list of six things is not exhaustive, but I think it's helpful. Six things. Healthy church members grow toward Christ-likeness. Secondly, healthy church members pray consistently. Thirdly, healthy church members attend regularly. Fourth, healthy church members give sacrificially. Fifth, healthy church members serve the body with their spiritual gifts. And sixth, healthy church members evangelize the lost. Those six things. Let me talk about them quickly. First, Healthy church members grow toward Christ-likeness. We expect, the elders expect, each member of the church to be growing in grace and the knowledge of Christ. 2 Peter 3.18. That you would be making progress in your sanctification. That you would be having daily quiet times. Meeting with the Lord every day. Feeding on God's word. Putting sin to death by the power of the Spirit. Using your, your, your gifts to build others. We'll talk about that. But living a Christian, healthy Christian life. Healthy church members feel themselves to be running a race with endurance, and they want to run right to the end. Like Paul, there's a passion. In Philippians 3, 12 through 14, I love this. Paul says, not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining toward what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. That's a race we're running. If you're a healthy church member, you're going to be running your race. You're not going to be plateauing or declining in your spirituality. You're going to be growing. Okay? Secondly, healthy church members pray consistently. This fits into where we've been recently in Ephesians 6, but look again at verse 18, 618. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray for other church members. Organize your prayer life. Pray for your home fellowship members. Pray for brothers and sisters in Christ that you know well. Get to know people you don't know well yet by praying through the the church phone, phone list. A page a day would be a good rate. You get through the whole thing in less than a month. Find out, like, if there's one person you don't know, go ask somebody, say, I prayed for this person yesterday, I don't know them. Tell me something about them. I mean, it's just get to know the body, but do it especially by prayer. Take up each other's burdens in prayer. And be involved in the prayer ministries of the church, especially home fellowship. Don't skimp home fellowships. Don't skimp on prayer. Spend a good amount of time praying with and for each other. 
Also, there are other opportunities to pray. Every Sunday morning, many of you don't know this, but we have a prayer meeting, a small prayer meeting at 8.30 on Sunday mornings. If you're able to come, we're just right here in the, in the parlor and we pray for the day. We pray for the preaching, we pray for the Sunday school ministry, Bible for Life. We just pray. It's just short time. But come, 8.30 in the morning if you can make it. So that's an opportunity to come. And there are other corporate prayer times throughout the year. Thirdly, healthy church members attend regularly. Attend regularly. Key verse on this is Hebrews uh, 10.25. Not forsaking our own assembling ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now you may ask, attend what regularly? Church does a lot of things. Well, first and foremost, this meeting of the church. 10.30 Sunday mornings, we're here every week. (laughs) Every week. Apparently, I just heard that Christmas is on Sunday. We're actually going to have church on December 25th. In the spirit of the Puritans, we're going to have church on Christmas Day. All right? So please come. All right? Um, So, but every single Sunday, every single Sunday. So first and foremost, there's that. At the second level, I would say being involved in home fellowships. We know that not everyone can be involved in home fellowships. We understand that. But there is no better structural ministry of the church by which you can know and be known. You can linger after worship with others who also linger after worship. Many don't, but many do. And you can get to know people that way. But home fellowship is the best way to get to know the same people week after week. I also would urge you to consider regularly attending members meetings. Members meetings happen four times a year. Those that used to be called church conferences or others call them business meetings. But we have them in February, uh, May, August, and November. So one's coming up pretty soon, a couple of weeks, a month. So come to that. It's important. And then also, at a lower level, uh, Bible for Life. It's a good ministry. The Word of God is taught here week after week. We've seen attendance kind of decline over the last four or five years. The elders are seeking to give different and better classes. But I think just being committed to say, hey, it's, this is a better way for me to spend the time than if I weren't there. It's a good way to feed on God's Word and to meet with God's people and to pray for each other. Now, what do we mean by regularly attend? I said attend what? Well, the elders shrank back from a percentage per year, okay? Um, that would just be simple legalism. For us to say, you need to attend at least 80% of Sunday morning worships. Is that, look, that's not where it's at. Really, what I'd rather you do is look at Hebrews 10.25 and look at two key words. It says, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing. Those two words, forsake and habit. Those are key words. A willful choice to not go to Sunday morning worship. And making a habit of that is a step toward apostasy. It's a dangerous thing to do. As a matter of fact, the first thing the elders do in shepherding souls is look at attendance in Sunday morning worship. Now, we know that some people are are caring for other sick family members and can't come. We know that there are other mitigating circumstances. We're just interested in what the circumstances are. And involvement. Fourth, healthy church members give financially and they give sacrificially. Jesus taught more on money than any other practical topic of the Christian life. Why? Well, because how you spend your money is a clear indicator of the state of your soul. To repeat, our church is right now about 10% behind in our annual budget. Something like that. Maybe 120000 I haven't gotten the recent figures, but that's been the recent thing. Now, about this time every year, we're always behind. We usually have great Decembers. <laughs> I don't know if it's like the tax season or what it is, but, um, but I don't think historically our Decembers will be enough to make up this deficit. Now, the church is doing well. We're very wise in how we spend. We don't overspend, and, and we're not in a bind. But for us, 
it really is more of a spiritual issue. It's something we want to use to enable each of you individually to look in the mirror and to, and to ask, you know, what am I doing with my money? Software shows the demographics, the age spread demographics. Let me tell you, I have never known any single church member's giving patterns in any single instance ever, unless they told me, and I couldn't stop them in time. So I don't know what any of you that I look in the face now are doing. I don't. I just know big picture. Like, according to our software, we have 215 regular givers. So we can just get that. I think that's right. We can also extract out the average gift. You can, you can work on that. I'm not going to give you the number, but... You know, you can do that. Also, we have some significant givers that skew the whole number upward for others. That's just math. So when you have a couple of big-time givers, you move them, then the numbers all sink, sink a little bit down. If you take the average gift by those of professional age, all right, those in the prime of their earning careers, 25 and up, and, and then you reverse it by the tithing principle. I'll talk about tithing in just a minute, but that's one-tenth. If you reverse it, then those people earn an average of $26,000 a year if they tithe. I don't think that's even a living wage. And so I don't think that the people are tithing. It's just simple logic. So then you could ask, well, should people tithe? Tithing just simply means, an old English word just means a one-tenth. It's an old covenant giving principle. Randy Alcorn, in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, said tithing is the Christian, or, sorry, the training wheels of Christian giving. Remember training wheels? Remember, did you ever use, I never used training wheels. I went right on a bike. I'll never forget my first bike ride. I was a seven-year-old kid. I rode down a hill right into a teenager's car, a hot rod, that he was waxing. I ran for my life through the woods. I managed somehow to survive. I don't know how I survived that day, but I got through it. Boy, was he mad. So I didn't know how to brake. I didn't know how to turn. I just went. That was my first bike ride. You're saying that explains your recent bike crash, Pastor. So, no, I've learned something about bike riding since then. But training wheels are just little, you know, it's a temporary thing to teach you how to give. His implication is you should be giving more, not less. And he argues this way. New covenant blessings are always expansions of old covenant practices, not reduction. We're not, as Christians, say, oh, good, now we're in the new covenant. We can give less than the old covenant people did. That's just not the way that the Bible tends to work. But the, we're not given a, an amount. We're told this. New Testament principles, we should give sacrificially, cheerfully, by faith. We should give regularly and according to what we have. So that could be a whole sermon. I'm not going to do it. But that's how we do it. We just want to give generously, sacrificially, and cheerfully according to what we have. Our desire is just that you would be faithful to those principles. If you are being faithful, that really is our, our budget. We should reduce our budget by that amount and say that's what we can do. But is it? That's the question we have to ask. Tithes, many have thought, and I, I'm sympathetic to this, should go to the local church and offerings to ministry beyond the walls of the church. Tithes and offerings, that's a phrase that we hear a lot. So benevolence money, uh, money to missions, money to other things, etc. Uh, parachurch ministries, those are your offerings. Tithes then go to enable local churches like this one to keep doing this, keep meeting on Sundays. So that's generally what tithes go to. Also, there are offerings that go toward the building. Like I said, our building needs attention. Um, back in 1995, three years before I came, the church 
uh, had a giving campaign to upgrade the sanctuary and the children's area directly below and build the North Tower, I think, in about. So basically, this wall and over, down, and up. If you go like into the educational wing, you'll notice a difference. It feels a little different. Does it to you? I mean, it does to me. So that's like from the 1960s earlier. I think it's cool. The elevator over there was put in the year I was born. So they're like, Dad, you are old. Like, I mean, it's an old elevator. You've been in it. I think it's kind of cool and adventuresome to be in that elevator alone in the building. It's like, how, mu how much courage do you have? Like halfway between floor two and three, and it's like, no one there. You will pray is what you will do. Um, but, all right, they had an had a offering uh, of $1.8 million. It got paid off two, a year after I got here. So in about four years, they paid off you know, $1.8 million. And we're still benefiting from that today. The, the appearance, the before, you, you have to see the before and after photos. Our church needs a bunch of things done that will amount to probably as much as two-thirds of that. Okay, stuff in the parking lot, stuff in, the, in that wing, uh, stuff with the ceiling, with the roof. Some of it you'll never notice, but if it doesn't happen, you'll notice that it needed to be done. So they're just things, we're going to have to look at what kind of giving and what kind of commitment we have. So I'm just asking you to look at how you're actually spending your money. Do, are you enslaved to credit card debt? You may have problems with credit card debt. You may not, but you just may be spending your money on other things. You may be spending your money on other good things, church things. I mean, um, uh, Christian things, but just not giving to the church. So I just would com commend to you, for, for a purpose of evaluation, tithing being the start. Just start there and grow from there. And first and foremost to the church budget. Fifth, healthy church members serve the body. I'll go quickly on this. Fundamentally, healthy church members use their spiritual gifts to build the body. I just want to ask you a simple question. What is your spiritual gift ministry? What, what do you do regularly that's a, a gift? It's, it's, you know, it's a gift of faith or gift of administration, gift of teaching, gift of evangelism, um, gift of prayer, gift of worship. What are you doing regularly in a patterned way to build the local church? Evaluate yourself. Are you using your, your gifts? There are so many different ministries that you can get involved in here. I'm not going to delineate them. And finally, six, healthy church members evan evangelize the lost. We must embrace the external journey of missions and evangelism. Evangelism is something we do with people who speak our same language and are our same culture. Missions is what we do with people who do not speak our language and are not of our same culture. We should be involved in both. Evaluate your own habit patterns. When was the last time that you invited someone to church? When was the last time you shared God, man, Christ response, the gospel, to a lost person. Evaluate your involvement in missions. When was the last time you prayed for an unreached people group? Do you have an awareness of our missionaries, our church's missionaries? Do you have a commitment to pray for them? The elders can help you grow in all of these areas. We regularly do evangelism classes and, and do evangelistic outreaches. But just evaluate your involvement. Well, those are the six areas I would like, you, like to commend to each of you to evaluate yourself. Just be praying with us and with the elders for our church to get stronger and healthier. And that we would grow in the grace and the knowledge of Christ as the Lord has ordained. Close with me if you would in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time we've had to look at these things, to evaluate our life, to look at the book of Ephesians one last time. And I pray, Lord, that you would strengthen First Durham, strengthen this church. Help us, O oh Lord, to be faithful and to grow and to give in the areas you want us to. 
Help us to use our spiritual gifts to build others up. Help us to give financially, sacrificially. God, strengthen our church. Thank you for being here and helping us by the Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.